Okay, good evening, everybody, and welcome tonight. We are continuing in Chapter 2 of Shah Habitakhni, the Gate of Trust. And uh, I believe this will be our second class in Chapter 2, where, God willing, we will conclude the chapter um, and leave with, I, I believe, I'd like to think, a beautiful thought. Um, I'm going to ask a little bit of a tough question. And I'm looking for you to give a tough answer. If someone is married and one of the spouses has an affair, do you think trust, real trust, and healthy love can be rebuilt? That's the question. The question is, if there's been a real, a real affair, can real trust and real love be regained? Anybody willing to uh, take a shot at? I mean, I, I'm I'm not going to say I have the answer. I, I'm, but I'm going to I'm going to. I have a thought I want to share. Any, anybody willing to talk about it? Well, I, I think it depends on the people. Um, and I think it depends on the relationship. I think. Um, people do make mistakes as, and I think that's a pretty bad mistake to make, but people do make mistakes. And I think it depends on, on there's, there's lots of other factors, you know, is there, it, does one partner not have any money? Do, are there kids involved? There's, there's other factors as well, but I think it, it depends on, uh, it, it depends on a whole ton of different things on, on whether people can forgive each other um, I mean, obviously, it's it's tough to say don't don't make the mistake in the beginning, but um, sometimes it, you know stuff happens. So, Mark, you're bringing up a lot of valid points. Um, you know that we need to first of all take the whole situation into account. Um, people make mistakes, but I want to kind of review one specific part of the question, which is: Can real trust on a high level be rebuilt? I'm not saying, God forbid, we should give up. But I am asking you, after such a mistake, can real trust be rebuilt? Between people. Between a husband and wife. A husband yes. and wife in that situation. Yes. Can it be? That is a theoretical question. I have to say, of course, it can be. Okay. And it is, at the moment, it is a theoretical question. Yes. And I appreciate the high level that, of course, it can be. Um, that that's I think that's uh, that's uh, it happens. I mean, it it's happened before with other people. I think some people even have crazy open marriage. Right. right. I'm going to offer and, a comment. Please, I'd love to hear. Yeah, because you said real, like fundamental. Right. So what did you say? And to that, I would say no. Mm -hmm. Once that, once that is broken, it cannot be repaired. It, it can be like a broken bone, you know, it can be, you know, or like, you know, scar mm -hmm. tissue can grow in its place. You could have uh, something, but it would never be the same. It'll never be what it was before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree totally. Thank um, you. There, there has to be um, on the part of the person who transgressed 
there has to be complete understanding of what that person put the other person through and it has to be completely acknowledged. But even then, I, I agree um, that, uh, it, it, that something has been broken. Whether, I mean, it can be repaired and it can be, you know, kind of reassembled, but it's never gonna be the same. You will never be able to just relax and, and trust that person again. The same way you did when you originally entered into relationship. This is, I mean, you know, basically something, a, a, a change has happened, but not only has a change happened, you're saying, in other words, sometimes change could be positive, but ultimately there'll always be in the back of your mind, of the person's mind, concern, you know, you won't be able to get rid of. Anybody want to share anything else? It's a, uh, sometimes you get to look at this as a, the way some people look at it as though uh, we could still be living the way our patriarchs lived. And sometimes uh, if you look at it that way, uh, sometimes uh, you, you, the way you phrased the question, you made it, up, you said spouse, you didn't say man and woman. But if you look at it in the, in the, from an old historical perspective, then it, Still seems like it might be possible uh, on behalf of the woman, anyhow, to me. So, no, that's an interesting point you're bringing up. Actually, it's a really interesting point you're bringing up. Um, I, uh, I'm going to encourage, if possible, whoever's on the class, to put on a put on a yamulka. We'll make the class full holiness yamulka or hat. Um, now, I, I just want to sh share a thought. The reason I brought this up is because today we learned this portion of the golden calf. Very, very, very serious story. Very serious story. How we, we married Hashem on Shavuot and less than 40 days later, we committed adultery. We, we, we had an affair. Um, it's a very serious story. So we married Hashem. Hashem uh, wined and dined us. He uh, did, did all these miracles for us. We had this incredible experience at our Sinai. And within 40 days, we, uh, we committed the worst possible sin in a marriage. And what's Hashem's response? Anyone know what, what's Hashem's response when we have this, you know, I'm going to use the word this affair. What does Hashem say? Hashem says, I'm going to kill, I'm killing all the Jewish people. I'm done. So I'm done. But he tells Moshe, I did promise to our forefathers that I'm never going to completely wipe you out. So I'll kill everybody aside from you. You'll have children and the Jewish people will, will carry on. The, the, I promise to, your, to the forefathers that it's still real. I won't just kill the Jewish nation. I'll leave you alive. Everybody else I'll wipe out. So the marriage is over. 
So what does Moshe do? Moshe pry, Moshe turns to Hashem. He, beg, he uses the tricks that Hashem tells him. Very fascinating if you look in Rashi. And Hashem basically throughout the conversation they're having is telling Moshe, he's hinting to Moshe how to come back and ask for forgiveness in an appropriate manner. And Moshe follows through and uh, Hashem forgives the Jewish people. But Hashem forgives the Jewish people on such a high level that he says, I'm never, ever going to forsake you. In other words, and, and so again, when I ask the question of can trust be rebuilt after an affair, I, I, don't, I don't know the answer, you know, and, and um, I, I was only asking it to compare it to Hashem. You know, it's, not a, it's a situation that no one should need to deal with. But Hashem dealt with it. And I can only say that on Hashem's part, Hashem has promised us that he's going to continue to love us, continue to take care of us, no matter what we do. And I thought uh, putting it in that perspective maybe can reflect what we've been learning in, uh, in the seventh quality that a provider has. And, and uh, are you able to see my highlighting? Unfailingly good-hearted and kind, even to the undeserving. Do you see my screen here? Yeah. Yeah. yeah but in other words, this idea that Hashem is unfailingly good-hearted and kind, even to the undeserving, is actually what we learned today in the weekly portion on the greatest level. We've committed in a marriage the greatest sin. Uh, and we're undeserving. And yet Hashem says, you know what? I will love you forever. I'm never going to forsake you. I'll always be there. Um, any thoughts or comments on that, on that idea? Well, first of all, that's Hashem. <laughs> and as a human being, it is, uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Correct. I, I wanted to reflect that I am not at all talking, reflecting what should happen in, in, a, in a case of, of a marriage. I only brought, I don't know, I'm not, uh, that's something which, you know, people would need work with a, a professional on it. I, I brought up that instance to reflect how serious it is and how Hashem loves us not the same, uh, still the same. So I, I, I brought the comparison not to reflect on what should happen in a marriage. I'm just reflecting on how Hashem handled it. How Hashem yeah, has unfailed, say it again, Yeshua. Yeah, no, maybe um, a different way to frame it would be, you know, we've been talking about spousal trust. How about parental, parent to child? So I didn't bring a parent to child on purpose. Okay. And, and I'll tell you why. Yeah, and, I, and, and I want to hear your thoughts. I didn't bring it up on purpose because a parent will always love his child no matter how much he sins. Meaning Hashem has placed that within us. A spouse is not a child. Um, so I, I wanted to bring up the extreme by, by, by the scenario that we have here, which we consider ourselves Hashem's spouse. Does that make sense, Yeshua? Didn't... Uh... Didn't Hashem uh, said that he would not um, go with Mo Moshe to, to lead the, the people? He would send an angel. So it was, 
Didn't he say that at one point? So it wasn't like complete forgiveness. So it, it's a very appropriate you ask the question. If you look in today's Chumash, we learn Hashem says, I'm not sending, I'm not going to come myself. I'm going to send an angel because being that at the moment, my anger is, is still there. If I'm amongst you, I could, God forbid, destroy you from my anger. So actually Hashem sent the angel to lead us after the sin of the golden calf um, as a, to protect us. Not as a, not saying that he's disconnecting from us. In other portions of the Chumash though, it is brought up again. The golden calf is brought up um, multiple times. So yes. So this Morbasha, thank you. Morbasha is bringing up a good point. Hashem, very interesting. And again, actually, I'll, I'll encourage all of you later. Look at the look at today's chumash. It's very worth it. It's very 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 eye opening. Hashem never said that I'm ignoring the sin. I think it's an important point. Hashem didn't say, "Oh, you're a freebie." Hashem says we're going to need to work this out, and we're going to need to work it out for a long time. However, I still will always love you. So yes, Hashem didn't say, I'm wiping the slate clean. It's as if it never happened. Let's go back to beforehand. Pretend it didn't. No, no, not at all. You know what? I appreciate these, uh, the, the points being brought up. Very, very, very enlightening. Thank you all. So we learned last week how there's seven items that a provider needs. And we have the compassionate, loving. The second item is that not only they're loving, but they're actually attentive to all your needs day and night. They're always there for you. The third is that they have the power to get it done. The fourth idea is that they know what's good for you. You know, God forbid you don't want someone doing you a favor, but it turns out to be hurting you, right? When COVID started, people were doing a lot of things thinking they're helping others, um, but it was actually harmful. You know, tragically, if you saw, there was a man who wanted to uh, lighten up the spirit in an old age home, and he came to perform for them, you know, and tragically, um, he, brought, he brought the virus with him. So we need Hashem, or we need, sorry, the provider to know what is best, truly best for us. The person has to be there from the beginning to the end of your life. You know, you don't want to worry he's going to die and then you're in trouble. Um, the person to be a true trust needs to be the only provider for you. No one else can have an effect. And finally, unfailingly good-hearted and kind. So with this, let's now go and try and apply it um, to Hashem. I do want to read this paragraph. This is a paragraph from a... From a uh, from the Art Scroll edition, this is how they kind of summarize the point of humans. And I'd like to read out loud. Humans do not possess any of the seven qualities listed. They surely do not possess the last five, supreme power, perfect insight into one's needs, dedicated care throughout one's existence, absolute control over one's affairs, and unlimited kindness. Um, as for the first two qualities of compassionate care and attentiveness to one's needs, 
human beings possess them to some degree, but not in an absolute sense. You can't say that a human being is there 24 seven for somebody. It's, it's just impossible. Um, a person needs to have downtime. A person needs to be able to sleep. You, you, um, we can't say that someone is completely loving without any caveat. That's not how Hashem made us. So what we're going to learn is that these seven qualities, and then I'll take, I think, this question. These seven qualities exist fully in Hashem, but also only in Hashem. Yes. Someone had a question? No. Okay. The chasher, if you have the hat, the, uh, if Looking online in the link, it's on page five. You could also share with me here on the screen. When we examine these seven conditions, we will not find them at all in any of the creation. However, we will find all of them in the creator. May he be exalted. And now we're going to go through all seven. You know, before I go ahead, I'm reminded, someone asked me a question after the class. That's an incredible question. He said, if the person, if uh, Rabbeinu Bachaya, who wrote this Sefer, perhaps he lived a tranquil life and he didn't know what suffering is. So maybe if he knew what suffering was, he wouldn't be so positive. It's a good question. Uh, and I want you to know, I, I appreciate those questions. Um, but I believe we're going to address those questions as we go ahead, meaning throughout the, throughout the book, as, as well as uh, he didn't live such a tranquil life. But let's see now the seven, the seven qualities in Hashem. Shehum Irachim al-Buriyosav, this idea that that Hashem has compassion over his creation. How do we know this? Hashem, as we say until him, the Lord is merciful and gracious. And another verse says, should I not take pity on Ninveh, the great city? You're familiar with the city of story of Yonah? Yonah, we read it on Yom Kippur, Hashem told him to go to a city of a non-Jewish city and tell them that their cup is full. They've, they've maxed out on sin. And if they don't shape, shape up, it's going to be shaped out. They're, they're not going to exist anymore. Yonah didn't want to go, um, but he ends up going. And one of the things that Hashem tells him is, should I not take pity on Ninveh, the great city? Hashem is reflecting to Yonah. So Hashem has pity. Hashem has love. That's the first one. Mashainu Masal in this idea that Hashem does not ignore that Hashem is constantly there 24-7. Kumaisha Kasov, as the verse says, he Hashem Yisrael, behold the guardian of Israel, will neither slumber nor sleep. During the Six Day War, the Rebbe spoke about this idea that Hashem is constantly with us. And we don't need to think that by night Hashem Hashem's always there protecting us. The third and fourth quality that Hashem knows what's best for us. And that Hashem is supreme strength. Where do we know this from? He is wise and hard and mighty in strength. 
Who hardens his heart against him and remains whole? Hashem is the supreme strength. You, O Lord, are the greatness and the might and the glory and the victory. So Hashem is supreme strength. And a third passage that says that Hashem is supreme strength. The Lord, your God is in your midst. The mighty one who will say... So we see this idea that Hashem knows what's best for us and that Hashem is supreme strength. Now, you know, as we're going through the qualities, do we need a verse? Do we need to prove that Hashem has these seven ideas or is it obvious? So again, the question is, here, Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar is giving us textual proof from the Tanakh that Hashem has these seven qualities. Do we need these proofs, or is it obvious, or is it obvious that we need proofs? The, the answer is, as it's going to soon mention, hopefully it's obvious. But in addition to it being obvious, we also want to bring support for it. At the end of the chapter, I hope you'll see that more. Do like this idea. That Hashem is the only one who takes care of the person throughout your whole life. Hashem is always there for you from the beginning of his formation and the beginning of his growing up. How do we know that Hashem is always there for you? Is he not your father, your master? He has made you, made you and established you. So Hashem is your creator. And again, we're going to bring two more verses that Hashem... Um, was there from the beginning. I rely on you from birth, from my mother's womb, you drew me. So you, you allowed my, my mother to, to become pregnant with me. So again, Hashem is, Hashem is with us even before we're born. And again, another verse. And another verse which says that the seed that comes into the womb is like milk. Did you not pour me like milk and curdle me like cheese? These are, this verse is talking about the creation of the fetus and the rest of the matter, which is elaborated in the verses there until the end of the chapter, which is still the kindness of God, which he performs with the person from the beginning of his formation through the rest of the person's life. Okay, so Hashem is with us from the beginning till the end of our life. There's never a moment that we're going to say Hashem's not in control. You know, it's interesting. There is, a, there is one night a year where we say that Hashem is not fully ruling. Anybody know what night of the year do we say that Hashem is not fully ruling the world. There's one night a year that we say Hashem is not fully ruling the world. And the answer is the first night of Rosh Hashanah. Because we say that on the, the first day of Rosh Hashanah, every year when we blow the shofar, we're actually drawing Hashem back down to be king over the world and rule over the world. And actually, Hasidus talks a lot about that 12-hour period, what's happening, how, where the energy of the world is during that 12-hour period. 
the night of the first night of Rosh Hashanah until we re uh, we, we bring back Hashem's fullness into the world. But Hashem is constantly with us. Every moment, there is no place, nor no time, nothing where Hashem is not with us. Okay, number six, the fact that only Hashem could help us. Where do we know the fact? that those things which benefit him as well as those things that harm him are not in the domain of any man, but solely in the hand of the creator may be exalted. This is supported by the verse in Eicha that says, Who has commanded and it came to pass, unless the Lord ordained it. By the command of the Most High and only by the command of the Most High will good or evil come? And actually, this is talking about a very tragic thing. It's talking about the destruction of the second base on Mikdash. It's talking about the destruction of our holy temple. And even at that moment, we're saying, Hashem is actively involved. Hashem didn't leave the world. That, at that moment, Hashem was with us. Ve'amar, I want to come back to this point of Hashem being with us, even in that tragic time. Ve'amar, but let's finish these two verses proving to us that nothing can happen without Hashem's control. The grass is going to dry out. The blossom is going to wilt. But the word of God will last forever. And finally, behold, the people are like grass. Yeah, we're going to, we're going to grow. But then the grass is going to dry out. Hashem is, everything is though is in Hashem's hands. Um, and only in Hashem's hands. You know, I mentioned this idea that even in the tragedy, even in the sadness, Hashem is, is in charge of everything. I'm not telling you, I can't, we're not talking about how and why. When the Beis Hamigdash was being, so are, are you familiar with the, uh, the Ark? The Ark and the Beis Hamigdash had on top of it, could anyone call out? There was a form. What was the form on top of the ark? Kruvim. The Kruvim. What were the Kruvim? Angels. Angels. Images of angels. Images of angels. Tell me a little more. They were what, what type of images? What type of images? And, and I asked what type, because actually that's an important idea. So they were, they were a, a boy and a girl. Okay. No, and, and that's important. It was an expression of love. And I actually, I, I quickly went to my bookshelf because I want to show you a picture. First of all, I'll encourage you. There's an incredible book from Artful called The Mishkan. And they uh, made these magnificent uh, electronic renderings of how things look in the Beit HaMikdash. But I want to show you the Ark. And specifically, I want to talk about the covering of it, like I just mentioned, the, the two angels of Krillin. Um, one moment. Ah, right here. But here, 
you could see the ark. And on top of the ark, you see there's two angels and it's a boy and a girl. Let me give you a better picture that's gonna show you the faces. Um, perfect. So here you see this over here is a, is a view from the top. It's a bird's eye view. You see the two um, children looking at each other. And here you see a little better. Again, you see the boy and girl are looking at each other. Now, the Gemara shares with us that a miracle happened. When Hashem was happy with the Jewish people, these angels would be facing each other. But when Hashem was sad, they actually would, would through a miracle, flip around and not look at each other. However, when Nebuchadnezzar, when the Babylonians entered the temple, when they were destroying the first temple and they saw the ark, so if Hashem is upset, the angels should be facing opposite. And yet when they come, came in, we know they were facing each other. In other words, it was still a moment of love. So I'll, I'll, it's for another time. Uh, to talk about how that could be. But even in that moment, which seemingly looked like tragedy, it was a moment of love. In other words, we know that Hashem was not, Hashem didn't do it because now he's mad and he's angry. It wasn't, I'm going to punish you. No, this, the, the, this tragedy that happened was still a moment of love. So again, nothing can happen without Hashem. This idea that the good and bad, everything is only in Hashem's hand. I've already shared with you, Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar says, in the third gate, the gate of service of God, the gate of trust is the fourth gate in this book. Okay, now we're going to go to the, the seventh idea. The seventh quality that a provider needs to have, this idea that, that Hashem's goodwill extends to all and his kindness develops each and every creation is supported by the verse in Tehillim 145.9. You guys know all, all know this verse from Asrei. The Lord is good to all and his mercies are on all his works. In other words, Hashem is good to all, even the undeserved. Everybody. The Amar and another verse says, Who gives bread to all flesh. Everybody. For his kindness is eternal. The Amar. We say also in Ashkenaz. Stretch out your hand. And you open your hand. To satisfy every living thing with its desire. Okay, so we have these seven qualities that the provider needs, and Hashem has them. So now, Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar is going to mention that this is obvious Hashem have, has it, and I didn't really need to bring you these verses. Intellect dictates that all these seven qualities are possessed by the Creator alone, and not by any other creation. Therefore, I brought these verses from Scripture merrily so that through them one will be able to remember the seven qualities. 
but I didn't bring all these verses to prove it. It's obvious. If Hashem is Hashem, then he's always with us from beginning to end. And he knows what's best for us. Okay. The Chasher, now we're going to conclude chapter two. The Chasher Yisfar is El Adam. This is Chazik Hakar Mitas Chesed And this matters. That only God possesses these seven qualities become clear to a person. And his understanding of the true kindness of the Creator strengthened. Well, if Hashem is all these things, and I really, I understand, I truly understand it. Now, what's going to happen? What's going to kick in? Number one is Yiftach boy. Well, then I'll trust him. The Yimasare love. I'm going to give myself over to the will of God. The Yaniyah Hanagafi love. I will leave the running of my life up to Hashem. I won't suspect that God is not judging me appropriately. And I'm not going to be angry regarding that which Hashem chooses for me. How do I know this? So I first want to share with you the Gemara and then that the Rabbeinu Bechai is going to quote. And then we will uh, come back here. So the Gemara in Brachais, Samachamud Beis, 60b, says the famous words, a person needs to bless for the good things just as for the bad. I'm sorry, sorry, I said it back. A person is required to make a blessing for the bad just as for the good. And the Gemara says, my, what do you mean? What do you mean? That just like you need to make a blessing for bad, just like for good, you need to make a blessing also for bad. What does that mean? Do you mean that you need to say the same exact wording, the same exact blessing? Are you saying that when Hashem, when you see something bad, you should thank Hashem for the good? But he, the Hatnan. We've learned, you know, tragically, when someone passes away, what's the blessing we make? Anybody know? If someone passes away, what's the blessing? We say, bless Hashem, the true judge. We don't say, thank you, Hashem, for this incredible, incredible good you're bringing to my life. No. Right now, to me, it looks bad. I'm going to thank Hashem. So what do you mean we need to make a blessing on the bad, just like for the good? My Rav says, we have to accept Hashem, Hashem's, what Hashem did happily. In other words, not to, not to fight, not to Try and get Hashem back. I want to just jump ahead to the Gemara. This is what I wanted to bring up. The Gemara is trying to understand, where do you know this from? Where do you have... This is quite a Meshuggah idea. That I need to thank Hashem for the bad. I need to thank Hashem when bad things happen. It's quite the Meshuggah idea. Joy. Say it again, Shmuel. It read with the same joy. 
With the same joy, yeah. Oh, you ought to be some kind of person to be able to do that. I mean, I can find that very, very hard to understand. I yes. Mean, I can yes. accept the bad and understand that the, uh, you live with it and accept it and think it's part of the godly be existence. Yeah. To be joyful about it. Ooh. Well, you, you bring up a good point. Um, and Tanya, we, we spoke a lot about it in the Tanya classes, but I don't want to, it's a good question for another time. I'm going to leave it for, for now. Mm. But I, what I do want to, what I wanted to focus on now is where do we know this idea that we need to equally thank Hashem for the good and for the bad? And it's interesting. When you see these words, you'll recognize it. This is David HaMelech in Halo. Anyone familiar with this song? Kos Yeshu Osesa Uvishem Hashem Ekra. We say in Ma. So there's a section in Havel, which is Ma Shiva Hashem. Anyone familiar with this song? Koltag. Yeah? Yeah, it's in Havel. It's in Havel. So David Amalek says, he says, ah, I'll lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of Hashem. So Hashem has blessed me with salvation and I'll, and, and I'll bless. Okay, that's simple enough. But let's see the opposite again in hollow. David HaMelech says, Sarah the Yoga in Emsa, I found trouble and sorrow, but I called upon the name of the Lord. What we see is that King David is using the same words, I will call upon the name of the Lord, whether it's whether, whether I'm lifting up the cup of salvation, or whether it's or I found trouble and sorrow. So King David is telling us that no matter what the situation, I need to bless Hashem. And King David is someone who has the ability to talk about sorrow. He had a very, very tough life. We've mentioned this previously. His father-in-law, first of all, his family thought that he wasn't a really appropriate child. His father-in-law tried killing him, right? You're familiar? His father-in-law took an arrow and, and, and... his father-in-law, his father-in-law wanted to kill him. His children, two of his children, made an upright, different individual uprisings against him. He, he had a lot that he dealt with. And yet, Hashdavad HaMelech says, I'll, I'll call upon the name of Hashem with the cup of salvation, or I'll, or I'll call upon the name of Hashem if I find trouble in Sodom. So from here, the Gemara learns out, I need to bless Hashem for the good, for the bad, just like the good. So let's turn back to the end of chapter two of the Shar how we talking to get of trust. And here, so in summary, the Rabbeinu Machai is saying, let's learn from David Hamada that if we really know that Hashem is in charge of everything and he loves us and he's constantly, always attentive to our needs. And Hashem, let's just review the seven items. He's constantly, he, he, Hashem has supreme power. He knows what's best for me. And every moment of my life, he's with me. 
Hashem is the only person who could help me and he's unfailingly good-hearted. So in that scenario, so now I'm going to trust in Hashem. I will rely on him, etc. Like David HaMalach said, let's conclude. As King David, King David of blessed memory said, I shall lift up a cup of salvation and I shall call it in the name of the Lord. In other words, this is positive. And it also says in the very same chapter, I found trouble and grief and I called out in the name of the Lord, even when things didn't appear to be going well for me. So hopefully what we're going to take from this class is that everything is in Hashem's hands and Hashem we're able to really throw our package on Hashem and Hashem will sustain us, Hashem will provide for us. Um, I, it was a thought I just wanted I wanted to share, um, but it's slipping my mind out. If it comes back, then I will revisit it. Um, so thank you all for joining. And Mishnir, Mishikov.